it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Welcome to Stromash, the Scottish NFL podcast, episode 204, a scintillating, fascinating, who saw it coming week of football is in the history books. And to pick it all apart, I'm joined by Paul Mitchell and Gordon McGuinness for now, because people might be dropping in when they can be arsed. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good evening. Well, welcome back from the, the States. I'd like to say we missed you last week, but I'd be lying, so you can just get on with it. <laughs> I would like to say I missed you all as well, but the Met, the Met life was resplendent in its um, waving of white flags, which I thought was somewhat symbolic uh, as they gave out thousands upon thousands of white towels uh, and the, the Giants flags, the Giants fans waved the white flag throughout the game. Perhaps not the best symbol to, to be giving your team, but hey, um, it was great. It was a great game. Great to see Jamie in action. Uh, that's two times I've seen Jamie Gillen live, and that's three tackles I've seen him make as a punter. So, you know, that, that doesn't that doesn't say a lot for the rest of the special teams, you know? No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, however, Jamie, with a massive punt at the end of the game there uh, at the weekend, as the Giants overcame the Bears... Obviously, great credit to that one. Loads of social media hype. Brilliant to see. Long may it continue. Also great to see on the back as well of um, them celebrating uh, international heritage. The Graham Gano, Jamie Kellen, obviously, with the Scotland flag on the back of their helmet. Great that the NFL is doing it. I think it's brilliant that they allow these players to pay homage to whether it be lineage or whether it be direct descendancies or whether it be that they were born in that country. So... Interesting take, though, that the the options were the Scotland flag or the Union Jack, not the England flag. It should have been a fried Mars bar or something like that that you could have stuck on the oh, side of the helmet. Oh, God. You, 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 being, you being the guy who talks about Scotland and talks about fried Mars bars <laughs> is the most predictable thing in the world. No, it's not. The most predictable thing in the world was the argument about the Ravens game that we had this week. <laughs> so that, that, that was much more predictable. And that, that's where I'd actually like to, to start this week, because I think it's a great talking point. I was watching the games and the first does, – does anybody bother how a team plays on the first drive? Because, you know, often a team will go down, march down the field, touchdown, and that's the only decent drive they make all day. I'm never particularly worried what a team does against my team on the opening drive. I never take a lot out of it. I don't know what your thoughts are. I mean, I think it's good to to start well. Because um, I, I thought that game this week is quite funny, like, Loads of Ravens fans are talking about like, oh, it's another second half collapse, which fair enough. But like, if you take those points and just split them up a little bit throughout the game, like the Ravens got really lucky early in the game with tip passes turning into interceptions. Then the Bills got really lucky with tip passes turning into interceptions um, in the second half and the scores effectively flipped and it was a game the Bills won by three points. Like it was a a close game that one team really dominated the first half and the other team really dominated the second half. I always find it funny when you think about these things and everyone focuses on. So rather than being like, oh, I don't care about whether or not they scored first or not, everyone worries about the second half collapse when actually both teams played really well for a half and not so well for the other half. If you flip those things around, fans of the team who lost would complain that, oh, we've started slow again. All those things. Everyone likes to complain. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, see, often think if you concede 20 points in, in the first half, 
What's to stop you from putting 20 points on the opposition in the second half? The only thing it it does look is it does look bad when you blow such a lead at home as the Ravens did on paper. People, you know, if you don't watch the game, pick it up, well, they led by that. How the hell did they let that go? So, but I think it's funny as well because, like, you look so, yes, you don't want to be 20 points down because being 20 points down means that you have to score 20 or more points more than your opponent in the second half. But if you, you know, think about things in a vacuum, you're capable of beating your opponent by 20 points in the second half if you're, if you're a good team, which the Bills are. They definitely are, and they showed a lot of character. I think to your point, I'm. I, we've discussed this plenty, right? I am a cynical, negative, expect my team to lose fan anyway. So I think it depends on the team in question. Um, if it's a powerhouse, an offensive powerhouse, and they score on you really early and they do it really easily, I worry about the tone that it sets for the rest of the game. And similarly to football in this country, if you're setting yourself up to be defensive and you lose a goal in the first 10 minutes, then your plan goes out the window. So, you know, it means you then got to start chasing the game already. If you can stand by your duties and bring it back around, then great. But... Yeah, so I think I think it matters when it's a offensive powerhouse well, and they I think march it down and score. A team. Like in in Scotland, so Motherwell fan, me, you're an Aberdeen fan. Yeah, um, thus expect my team to get beat. Expect yeah. expect to lose, but if Hibs score against us ten minutes in a game, I'm not like, all right, here we go. I'm switching off the TV. You know, the once every ten years a Motherwell Hibs game would be in the telly. If the once every year game against one of the old firms in the telly, uh, it's Ibrox and you're one nil down in ten minutes, yeah. then you're like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll not bother yeah. with this. <laughs> Cameron, I said, I said on the telly, it's not Ibrox. Oh yeah, good it. point. Yeah, <laughs> yes, very valid point. Um, you could fix that, Doncaster. Anyway, no, it's a different show. That's a different podcast. Um, right. We've heard enough from Motherwell voices about the the deal on that, so we'll not do any more of that. Um, let's talk about this play, though, right? Let's come down to it. There was a big argument, and we'll we'll jump to the Bowfing Award nominations first of all, because he's not here on the pod right now, but he is maybe going to join us if he can be arsed. Mr. Charles Patterson has submitted his Bowfing nomination, and he has actually put forward John Harbaugh which Gordon may be surprised at, given some of the chat. Oh, I'm absolutely stunned. (laughs) (laughs) Word for word, and I'll try and read this. As much as I often admire Harbaugh, so this is the shit sandwich well in play. So uh, So that's the first lie, okay. And his ballsy coaching style. This week, he cocked up by not taking the three point on offer with four minutes left relying on probability and or analytics is all very well but sometimes as a coach sometimes sorry a coach needs to chuck the computer away and read and feel a game better when you're in a tied game with the bills and you haven't scored since the second quarter capital points capital letter sorry take the bloody points taking no points in that situation was unforgivable 
P.S. If you're pig-headed enough to go for it in this situation every time in the future, at least pick a better play. P.P.S. I strongly consider nominating Gordon McGuinness for his magnificent bloody-mindedness in defence of this terrible decision, but I didn't want to rub salt into the wounds because he'd had a bad enough weekend after also losing to me in our fantasy league matchup. Oh, nice, good. I, I like. I like that. As a, you know, <laughs> the ending is the only part where he actually speaks sense. <laughs> now, does he not contradict himself by admiring Harbaugh for his ballsy coaching style and then bemoan him for? Implementing yes. said policy coaching style. Th- this is where, do, do you know though, when he says that he admires him, I reckon if we scrolled through that chat, every single time the Ravens go for it on a two-point conversion or whatever it was, I'm pretty certain he slated every decision at the end of last season when he did that. So he's he's lying. So there's there's two ways two ways to look about that. Look at this. One, I hate the whole argument. That this goes like, oh, teams rely too much on analytics. Right, Paul, it's third and in inches. Right, what what type of play do most NFL teams call in third and inches? Well, I mean, if they're behind and needing to go for it, they'll just call a run. You know, usually straight down the middle. Let's go. Right. You, you need you need to gain a small amount of yards, uh, and you know, third and one, third and inches, full back dive, half back dive. You know, you don't call an outside run, don't call a pass. Why do you not do that? Because there's a higher chance that it's not going to work if you do those things. Does anyone bemoan that as analytics? No, of course we don't bemoan that as analytics. Analytics is just information that helps you make better decisions. So let's get to this decision in, in question. Completely agree with him about the, the play, although I think it got blown up by uh, pressure. I actually think there was a couple of receivers open, and if Lamar Jackson wasn't under pressure, Lamar Jackson, who was really poor in particular in the second half in this game, the reason why John Harbaugh said this very eloquently after the game, the reason why you go for it here is because in all likelihood, what happens in this situation is one of two things. You score a touchdown, you go up by seven points. You fail to score a touchdown and the Bills are then on the one and a half yard line. One and a half yard line, that completely changes. Everyone spends a lot of time talking about how whether or not the Bills are going for a field goal or a touchdown changes how they play. Being backed up at your goal line has a far bigger impact on how you play. It means that a, a holding call in the end zone is a safety. It means that if they fail to gain any yards over three plays, we see, you know, we saw the butt the butt punt a couple of weeks ago, all those things. If you can hold them there at the two-yard line, you flip the field, the Ravens probably get an opportunity to kick a game-winning field goal as time expires. Or if you score the touchdown, obviously, worst case scenario, the Bills are tying you with a touchdown unless they they go for two. So with that in mind, I think it's pretty obvious why it is a smarter probability play to go and do it. The issue I have with complaints about this this time is this is one of the rare times whereby the decision didn't happen on the final play of the game. So we don't have this whole like, oh, well, in hindsight, what would have happened if they got if they kicked the, uh, the extra point and gone to uh, overtime? We have an exact thing of what would have happened. Because the Buffalo Bills got the ball at the 20-yard line on the touchback. There was four minutes on the clock. And with two minutes on the clock, the Bills were at the Ravens' 11-yard line. I, I'm I'm really struggling to understand where the hindsight argument in, oh, if they kick the field goal. Because what, what are you saying then? Like, oh, well, the Bills get up there and the Bills kick a field goal and it takes you into overtime. Okay, and then I've got a coin flip against the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen when my team haven't scored a point in the second half. I just, I really struggle to see that argument. 
yeah. I, I think it, it comes down to ethos. It, it just does. It comes down to ethos. I would have taken the three points, but that's my style. That's how I would coach. I would take the three points and challenge my defence to stop them. And if they manage to, you know, at least put the brakes on the worst that they would probably come away with a field goal. I accept your argument. I accept Charles's argument as well. I think it just is where you fall and what your approach is to the game. I think one of the points that, that Charles makes is you hadn't scored in that second half. I think it's a morale boost to get points on the board, to take the lead. For all of these, it's, it's the intangible things. But I think it's your approach to the game. I, I don't agree with Charles on the analytics thing. I don't think it was a particularly analytics call. I think it was how he felt at the time and what he thought would be the best thing for his team. What I'm saying is, I would have taken the three points, but that's why there's all these different coaches with all different styles and they go about the game in different ways. And that's why we love the game and we, we love the debate. Just depends on your outlook at times. And I think we talked about it on Sunday about momentum and we talked about the feeling and the emotion in the game at the time. And I think that given that, which I think is a valid point, right? You do have to take into account that. But I think given it, that the Bills were so efficient in the first half, but were so quiet in the second, that actually the best chance to win there was to score uh, a touchdown because the Bills weren't able to do that. Now, in the middle of the third quarter, they're not going to just settle for a field goal. They're still pushing for touchdowns. And therefore, if they just need to settle for a kick, then they can just settle for a kick. They don't need to push themselves as hard. You give yourself the best opportunity to win because you're the team that's got the momentum behind them. And there was, I can't find the tweet now. There was a graphic I saw that showed how it all played out and that there was a receiver, I think it was Duvernay, was wide open at the back of the end zone. And you could see that the the left, uh, left tackle, tackle... Left tackle, just, left tackle, by the way, who's the fourth string left tackle. It's yeah. the Australian kid who's like a mountain, but he's very, very raw. And they just got... Turned early, Jackson's under pressure, great play by the Bills' defence. But do you know what? At that point, they're still in the game. The defence still has to do a stop. They just have to stop a field goal rather than just a touchdown. And they weren't quite able to do it. So, you know, I, it's it's a hindsight thing. I would love to have seen... It's so difficult. I'd love to have I've had that conversation beforehand and what the decision would have been with everybody. Because thankfully, hindsight is huge. Thankfully, though... We only have to go back a couple of weeks to look at the flip side and we look at John Harbaugh doing the same thing. So the Ravens, two minutes, 18 seconds to go against the Dolphins. Justin Tucker kicks a 51-yard field goal. Now, it wasn't it wasn't a, a worth, you know, this wasn't even really an analytical call because, you know, where they were in the field, kick the field goal at this point. Yeah. Two minutes, 18 seconds left after kicking that field goal. What happens? Dolphins score a touchdown and win the game. 14 seconds to go. I'd, I had Ravens fans arguing with me that if the Ravens kick the field goal, the Bills drive down the field and they maybe don't care so much about the clock, about how much is left. So even if the Bills score a touchdown, the Ravens have more time to score to the point that someone told me, you know, I think that if the Broncos, if the, sorry, the Bills, if the Bills go and score a touchdown, I think there might have been 30 seconds left in the clock for the Ravens to do something. Down four points. Like th- this, the the issue I have with the whole argument is that at Paul's point of like I wouldn't coach that way. Fine, disagree with that, but it's you know fair each to their own. People just come out with these ludicrous arguments, and Charles Patterson writing bloody essays on it that don't make sense. 
the, the not trusting your defense thing doesn't actually hold up because either way you're relying on your defense. Like yeah. the and at Harbaugh's thing after the game was great because I hadn't considered at the time that the goal of that situation is we score a touchdown or they get the ball at the one and a half yard line. And then you just get the absolute worst case scenario where Jackson forces the forces the pass. And that where that's probably a difficult decision to think about is that the quarterback's obviously going to force stuff on fourth down because he's not got another play after. It's true. It's true. It's a fascinating point and one that we'll debate for a while. Listen, let's go through the rest of the Bowford Awards because we've started here. We might as well continue. There is one other nomination for Harbaugh that comes from Jamie Garwood. Basically, he says the same thing, not taking the field goal at home versus the Bills and said, going for a fourth down, goal and failing. Then the defence didn't let the Bills score a touchdown. Uh, Owe obviously oh, tackled this, Singletary. This, this though, there's a clip of this today. So the, the call, Owe after the game was asked because it looked like players were furious with him. And Owe was asked, and he said, no, what the call was, was let them score or try and strip the ball. There's a clip today. Owe tackles him, and the ball comes loose, and Singletary, like, re-grabs it. The ball's loose for a second, and, and it, like, doesn't hit the ground, but it's kind of, like, coming out his arm, and he regathers it. So Owe, who'd already forced a fumble in the game, was very close to forcing a fumble right at the goal line. And you got to believe in yourself in that moment and go for it, right? You don't want to let them score, because then, you know, Forcing the fumble is definitely the better outcome. So, yes. Okay. Uh, other nominations. Uh, and there's a few in here. Uh, the Detroit Lions defense gets one from Kenny Law. Got to feel sorry for guys like Goff and Hawkinson when you're playing lights out on the offense. And your defense has the structural integrity of a flake. Belting offense, Bowfin defense. Uh, the Dolphins get a whole load. Brian Dando, Johnny Bailey. Um, blaming both the Dolphins and the NFL, Stephen Bryson, Lorne Callahan, uh, all of them. Um, in fact, Ross Taylor, the same. Ross Taylor says, if you want a sure sign that Tua isn't their preferred franchise quarterback, this is it. Shocking from the Dolphins. Why would you put a franchise QB in that much danger? I think this is up there with the worst things I've seen in the NFL. Uh, the Ravens get a couple of others, actually. That's, sorry, I didn't even see that. They're tucked away. Showing the rest of the league how to throw Leads 21 points for his defense and now 17 for the Bills. Truly historic, but in a bad way, says Steve Briggs. Um, a few others in here. Sorry, I didn't even see them because people have... I've done it in alphabetical order, so I've gone through John Harbaugh, Ravens, and now they're Ravens. Darren Barry gives his to Trevor Lawrence. Look nervous, too many fumbles, little ball control in the air. Okay, the Jags might still win the division, but not vintage from the generation player. Washington gets one from Cameron Christie. Gave it the big licks all Dallas week, as they call it. Turned up with their special blackout uniforms and losing with a fair few turnovers. The Patriots OT play calling, says Paul O'Shea. It was just Bowfin, ran the same play twice, then punted it away. And I'd rather have turned over on downs than kick the ball back to Rodgers on fourth and five in the Green Bay half when they only need a field goal. A uh, couple others. Chaz gives it to the Steelers. The goddamn New York Jets. Need I say more? Uh, Melvin this, Gordon. This, by the way, we, I, I said it, and a lot of other people said it. You know, the Steelers. They're not. You know, they're they're just they just don't have bad seasons. This this might be a bad season for the Steelers. Yes. Um, I, I, I mean, let, let's let's just talk quickly about the Steelers. There, I mean, the Trubisky experiment may well be over. Um, you know, I, th I think we, yeah, we, I think we've seen this a couple of times. I'm always 
when a quarterback's not been in a great situation or has a bad start, I always like to see them at a second team because that will often tell you whether there is a chance or not. I think we've seen them. I think we realise there isn't a chance. And I think what Trubisky is going to come, I think he's going to be a, drifting around as a backup for the next few years. I don't see it being being anything more than that. Just to circle back on to this tour thing, uh, lots of people at fault you, and I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that the, the Bowfin this week is Miami and for the way that they've handled this. I'm not a big fan of organisations rushing to change things because of one incident. I think it's always a bad thing. You know, you could you can. I, go I don't. I don't think it is one instant. though. this has happened in the NFL before. This this is the one that got them caught on national television that looked bad. Yeah, the NFL well, have had a bit of a problem with this for a while. Well, it, it, this this was just coming on to say that, Gordon. I think this is the one <clears throat> that everybody's. L- latched onto and what I would rather see is not a knee-jerk reaction from this I'd like to see them sit and actually think and make sure whatever they do because they're talking about bringing in changes you know week five week six let's think think everything through and think it through carefully um, rather than just bring something in that's going to cause similar I, I problems would, I would rather I would rather an overreaction I, I, I thought about this a lot recently because I was watching BBC Breakfast earlier this week. and Well, that, that's an admission. I mean, it was, we, we'll, we'll deal with that there, differently. There was, you're going to feel bad now because it was a very good segment, <laughs> very good segment about rugby players with um, motor neuron disease. Yeah. And obviously, like, that's a, that's a relatively big problem with ex-rugby players. And I was having a discussion at the time about it's interesting that rugby versus the NFL I don't think there is much in the way of motor neuron disease in former NFL players, but there are the CTE issues around players who it seems to badly impact things like mental health and stuff like that. And I wonder if there's a difference between, you know, the kind of slow, slow kind of grinding of your head that happens in a rugby game because it's like less, it's probably more contact, fewer collisions, more contact versus the NFL where there's a lot more like big collisions and stuff like that. But as I watched that, it got me thinking like you have to err on the side of protecting people's heads. And and that was the thing that we talked about it in the podcast last week with the two, I think where, where it was really uncomfortable when he got injured against the bills, it might've been a back injury, but he gets up and shakes his head as well. The, yeah. the stumbling bit, I can believe is a back injury. The shaking his head, I can't believe is a back injury. And then when we see him fall to the ground and his fingers go into rigor because he basically seizes up, it just it's really it's really scary, and it was it was an avoidable situation that the Dolphins are getting a lot of the flack for it, um, and I think they they probably ultimately deserve it because you know the buck stops with them. Someone there was able to make that decision, but the NFL have a protocol in place whereby it's not encouraged to take players out of games, and there just there just has to be a thing. I think rugby is rugby's far better at numerous things than a lot of other sports when it comes to reviews and how they communicate with players and all this stuff. I, I think their their head protocol thing, which I probably also still needs work, is far beyond what the NFL's is because it's just like, look, this was a head injury, you're out, and you're out for this amount of time. And I think that's probably what we'll see from the NFL. I think head injuries will become like, you know, 10-day 10 knockouts. 
See, the, the problem I've got, and I'm not a fan of knee-jerk reactions, nothing has changed for me despite the, the two injury because we've seen this before. That That's what you said. So it's almost like the NFL has been caught and is going to be guilted in to doing something. That's kind of how the world works, though, no? Like, <clears throat> you know. Like, yes, but well, that, that's what I'm saying, Gordon. I don't, wear... I don't like that. But you know, like, oh, but then, but when do you make the decision? Like, we wear seatbelts now. Like, what was the point so we decided to wear seatbelts? I'm kind of in. I'm going to come in because I feel like I'm in the middle of the two on this one. I think it's right to change, but I think that the change that's been put forward to Paul's point there wouldn't have had any impact on the two situation because they dismissed it as a back injury, and therefore he wouldn't have gone out of the game because it was a head one. Now they've found their fall guy. They've got the independent person that reviewed it that they've punted out. Question for me is. Who was checking up on them all through the week? Because I bet you it wasn't the same one person. And if it was, then what a shambles that is. So there's a lot more needs to go on here. And actually, I think there's more to be done. It's not just about taking players out of the game, right? And that's uh, that's where it's like, fine, you get into a situation where people try and cover up injuries because they're worried that they're going to get taken out of the game, all this kind of stuff. People get missing games, especially people that are, aren't on guaranteed money, you don't want to create that kind of scenario, but you want to protect your players. So more checks should be done during the week. And whether that is a daily check-in to ensure that they are right and steady and ready and good to go, then so be it. I, I, I'll i be perfectly honest. I do not know what goes on in the background, but something like that too should have been getting multiple checks a day for me. It's a question mark. Was there a head injury? Proper analysis. You cannot be blaming that all on one person who reviewed him at the time and then, no, I think he's okay, go back in. Because there was a decision made four or five days later, to put them into the game again. That is not one decision. That's multiple decisions over a period of time that resulted in this outcome. So yeah, I think, and- to your point, it's right. I don't think a knee-jerk reaction is always bad, but I think that what sometimes happens is that then there's a knee-jerk re- reaction. People go, oh, well, great, we've done something. Brilliant. We can move on now. And then it doesn't actually improve the situation. Yeah, so I, I think I, there I mean, needs I, to be more than just this reaction. Yeah, and I think that's definitely... like. As long as it is a step forward, then I'm glad that they're doing something with it. The biggest issue I've got is that, like, I read up along what second second something syndrome around the fact that he had a second concussion four days after the first. He could he could have died on the field. It, if indeed, and and here's the thing: because we don't know and we don't know enough about head injuries against the Bills, maybe it wasn't a head injury. Right. Uh, let's let's give them the absolute benefit of the doubt there. Yeah, and this yeah, was yeah. just a, this was just like a bad thing. You know, it's still a it's still a bad hit and, and not a bad hit, obviously, in like the dirty sense. You know, it's just one of those things that happens yeah. in the game. It's just it's bad. But it, if this was mismanaged, we you know weren't a huge distance away from an even more situation. Like people got really annoyed at Mike McDaniel after the game for saying it looks like it's just a concussion. They were like, Oh, just a concussion. Based on the context, though, of how it looked at the time, I actually think just a concussion in that context is probably accurate. Like, because there were there was moments when watching that where I was like, "This is, this is like, I hope this is just a concussion." Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's all about context, isn't it? It's how you, uh, you know people would see that written down and be horrified by it, but you've actually got to look at the context in which in which he said it. Yeah, I was. I'll be honest. When I first heard it, I heard it out of context. I went, why is he using language like just a concussion? And then, yeah. fine, actually, in the bigger... I was disappointed by Mike McDaniels. I was like, you're better than that. Um, 
But I think as well, the Dolphins have now the Brian Flores thing, right? It's been, it's not gone anywhere. Fine, whatever. However, there's still question marks about that ownership. And now this is another thing. There's a question mark, but there's a lot of unknowns there. There's a, and I, for me, I want to see exactly what happened about reviewing to uh, after that Bills game all the way through the week. I want to see that there was rigor. I want to see that there was checks. And I want to see that there was professionalism because I'm not convinced there was. That's where I think it's the NFL's problem, though, is I I don't think... And and maybe this is, you know, progress is not something that goes from zero to 100. The the current current, uh, concussion protocols were a step up from what we previously had, which were guys going back in clearly still concussed. So... You know, but it was mainly focused around game day and, you know, then having to pass some tests and stuff afterwards. We don't necessarily know how thorough that process is. If this then allows us to take that process and make it stronger, good. Uh, like, fine fine with the whole, you know, not rushing to, to do it and stuff, but, like, let's get this right because clearly, yeah. clearly it's not good enough as it is just now. Where does the player stand in this? I mean... You talked about Miami, camera, and, and there's been more than the Flores thing. There's been other things that have gone on in that franchise the last 10, 12 years. You've got to make sure you've got a culture that you any player, not just your quarterback, can go to the coach and say, I'm not right today. Yeah. This isn't a mental health thing. This isn't about, because I'm a big believer, and you know, you've got to be strong mentally to play the game. This is knowing your body. And knowing that you're not good to go, it's I, not I, about it's not stepping up to take one for the team. It's not like you're playing with a hand injury here. I think if you, if we're talking about changing cultures, we've also got to make players aware and comfortable of being able to say, actually, I cannot go today. You know, as, as I say, you're not just carrying a, a bad ankle and you need to take a shot. The one thing we cannot mess with is head injuries, and I'd like to. I, I we don't know what. What state two was in? It's, whether he but, made no, but we but we do we do know, like it, it's joke. It's not joked about. It, it's like a storyline in Varsity Blues. You know, one of the first American football films I remember watching when I was younger. Like we know from well documented evidence and history that a lot of these players growing up through high school and stuff like that have been given injections to play through injuries. Now, but do, so this, I, I don't even think it's like a mental health thing that's like, it, it's just these players believe it's the expert, you know, they don't want yeah. to let their teammates down. They think it's the expectation and it's been imparted on them from a very young age. Yeah, but there's a difference hands. between an ankle and your head. This is, this is but the thing. No, I think- no, but see, but this is the problem is in society, we haven't done a good enough job explaining that and helping people get there. People don't, people just think on it as like, I, I guarantee you, if you polled 100 NFL players, if more than 10 of them thought a head injury was more serious than a high ankle sprain, I would be stunned. Because a yeah. high ankle sprain probably keeps them out for six, six weeks. Yeah, whereas next man up syndrome as well, where you're just constantly worried about losing your job. And in the Tua situation as well, there was loads of chat about the Dolphins trying to get to Sean Watson during the summer. So there was question marks about his future. So there's that whole thing where you go, is he going to make the right decision? Because actually he's worried about his job. I, I, it's, do you know what? This is a complex thing. These are not bad ideas. It's just, 
I don't think any one of them works. There needs to be a number of these things put in place. There does need to be a change in the approach to players putting their hands up and saying, nah, not for me. And actually, it's funny. I think in other sports that play more frequently, basketball, for example, you will see a player take a game out because the season is longer. And actually, if I miss two, I'm going to have more chance of making the next 20, which is more important than making this one. But with football season being so short, there's less opportunity and you really feel that you've got to be the person in there. So, yeah. Anyway, right, we're still on the bowfin, so we need to move on for this. Good God, uh, I hope you're sitting comfortably if you're listening to this. We've got somewhere to go. Um, there's a couple more that I want to read, read out because there was some funny things happened over the weekend. Billy Cowan says, Garrett Bowles, come on, we've all seen the video. Even his wife trolled him. The pathetic attempt to try and make a tackle um, very far away from his target. Very funny. And his wife trolled him, which was great. Um one other one that I want to get in because I just love a cheap shot and it was hilarious when I watched it. James Whitson says, Jalen Ramsey, what was that tackle attempt on Samuel's touchdown? Not even sure Debo even noticed him. It was like swatting away a child. I'm still laughing a few hours after watching it. Um, I particularly enjoyed that moment in the game. I think that was my highlight of that touchdown. And I think that part of that touchdown was better than him actually getting into the end zone. It's glorious. Great to see. Love it. Um, okay. Plenty there to talk about. Uh, is there anyone? It's the Dolphins. The, the whole Dolphin situation, the whole management of the situation, clearly Bowfin. Nobody else. Yeah, whatever Whatever was the reason it happened is that situation. So let's move on to the belter. Uh, and we talked first when we did Bowfin about Charles Patterson and his nomination. So I would like to just put forward... This week's spelter first from Charles Patterson. For a perfect 6-0 record in this week's pick six pick Oh, my God. MVP he did not, stuff. He did not nominate himself. Word for word. Also for sending in my picks within 60 seconds of the initial WhatsApp request, unlike some people on the podcast. You <laughs> teacher's pet knob. Now... I am going to take issue here. I'm going to take this as an opportunity because I am sick to death of some of the hypocrisy that has been displayed on this podcast over the recent months. And it is wild and it is across the board. I heard Paul Mitchell give an update last week on the Bonnie Sauce Pick'em competition of which he is currently leading it from a podcast member point of view. And he was shot down by Charles Patterson who said that Paul was as bad as me. Now, all Paul was doing, let's give him the benefit of the doubt here, was doing what I do, which is you just mentioned who the highest presenter is. By the way, this week it's still Paul. I think, Gordon, you are maybe either one behind or you're tied. I can't remember, but it's very close. I'm miles off it, right? It's only giving the facts. I think to nominate yourself for going 6 and all in the Pick'em, in the Belter Award, is a level of hypocrisy from Mr. Patterson in particular, that is just beyond the pale. It's beyond the pale. Well, two, two, yeah, sorry, two points to that before you come in, because I'm going to slag your Ravens. I was the only one that went for the Ravens. And of course, so I had a vested interest in, the, in them melting down. And I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I've not mentioned that I beat you in fantasy this week, Karen, oh, because Jesus I just Christ. don't think that's it's relevant. So I'm not going to mention it. Also, the rank hypocrisy of you, Cameron, to bring this up, when two weeks ago, in our channel, when I'd got the first three games wrong, you sent us a message to the chat and said, by the way, 
Gordon's on 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 track for an over six this week. It's a fact. I'm just sharing facts. I'm not nominating you for anything. I was just pointing out the we're all broadcasters. We we paint color to the scenes that we see before us. That's all I was doing. However, this is fine. I can I will take the shots. But when you're all at it yourselves, bunch of hypocrites. Right. Let's move on. Any point? Right. I heard you stuttering. I was yeah, just going to say, I, when, when do I do it? I don't think I do it. I don't think I congratulate myself. No, I, I, I think what we can basically say, and I'm fairly confident in this, is that Charles will not win the Belter of the Week. <laughs> no, I definitely won't. If anything, he's now a late contender for Bowden for that nomination that he's given bring, himself. Bring, right. Bring back the Bob Ag Award. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? We are allowed to use it a couple of times a season, so yeah, that's fine. Um, okay, right, number of people. They're they're kind of collated together. Got a couple of nominations for Debo Samuel. First of all, Lon Callahan says six catches for 150 yards and a touchdown might not normally earn him the prize, but when 99 of the 115 yards are yards after uh, contact, particularly when he ran through the entire Rams defense on the 57 touchdown play, makes his performance worthy of the Belter nomination. The fan who tried to run... Through the Rams defense with the flair, not so much. Um, DK Metcalf gets a couple of nominations. Phil Spear says, just find it so amusing that he got wheeled off to the gentleman's mid-game, then tweeted, uh, then the tweet afterwards buckled me. Um, Ryan Johnson says, seven receptions, 149 yards, and one trip to the toilet. I And a bit of fact, now I don't know if this is true or not, because I haven't been able to find any evidence of it. So he got on the cart because he needed a jobby, right? i as an IBS sufferer, I am sympathetic to that, right? He wasn't making it to the changing room. I want, I'm currently looking into where I can buy one of these carts for myself. Magnificent. However, he apparently got carted back to the pitch as well. So that that's on him, right? Uh, there's no reason for that. You can walk back. You don't need to be getting carted. Sure, surely it's a speed thing, though. You want to get him back as quick. As that well. cart is not that quick. Oh, he's, the, he's the fastest man alive, Gordon. Oh, what are you talking about? He can run forty-two miles an hour. He's not going to. He's not going to sprint back from taking a shite, though. Why is not? He? He's lighter <laughs> now. In fact, he should be able to go faster. He's the well, lightest. No, 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 no. See, you're missing <laughs> the point. It might have been a painful experience for him. <laughs> We've all yeah, been you, there. We've all yeah. been there. Yeah. Let's not make this a piles on. Let's move on. Um. Sticking with the <laughs> stick to the jobby in hand, yes. Come on, we could all go there. Oh god. Right. Uh Gino Smith gets a couple of nominations. Paul O'Shea says, Who'd have thought it winning a shootout and having the highest ever completion percentage through four games? Stephen Bryson says, Yes, the Lions defense looks awful, but absolutely nobody saw Gino Smith outperform Russell Wilson through three weeks. But here we are. 320 yards and two touchdowns, leading his team to almost 50 points, leads the league in percentage completage and fifth in QBR. Amazing. A couple of other... Patrick Mahomes gets a whole load. Uh, unbelievable. Tore up the Bucks defense as revenge for the Super Bowl. Uh, was the difference between the two teams. The touchdown flip to Edwards Allaire was ridiculous, says James Whitson. Uh, and Robin Lawrence says a, a healthy offense starting to tick, producing spectacular plays mixed with playing within the rhythm of the offense are making them a justified Super Bowl level team. The TJ Hawkinson gets a bunch of nominations. Stephen Briggs says not often a Lions player gets nominated, but he was outstanding versus the Seahawks. 
Uh, Zach Wilson gets one from Andy Wyatt for coming back game week four and performing some smashing plays to bring the Jets to another win. Josh Allen from Chaz gets one. 20-3 comeback win, consistently making plays to extend drives that would otherwise result in a punt. Brian Dando says Justin Jefferson for bouncing back in London. Um, Bailey Zappi gets one from Billy Cowan. Uh, so, you know, how how different this podcast could have been if Bailey Zappi had led the Patriots. You've got, uh, yeah, you've got beat, but after coming on for Hoyer, or coming on from Hoyer, Bailey Zappi kept the Patriots in the game longer than we had the right to. Clearly a Patriots fan. Given it was first professional snaps, completing 10 or 15 passes for 99 yards and a touchdown, as well as the toss, <laughs> uh, as well as the toss to Parker for his touchdown, is a belter of a performance for a fourth round cookie. Jesus Christ. Right. Let me take a moment because I'm going to read this again. Boom, 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 boom. 50 minutes. And it's not going to be 50 minutes. So I'm going to put a big pause in here so I can edit this out. No, no. I'm refusing to be quiet because like, you have to keep this in because this is brilliant. <laughs> You you using cookie instead of rookie. You just have to keep it in. Just front it out. Just keep going. Just keep going. Ah, it's been a long day. It's a belt of a performance for a fourth round rookie thrown in the deep end like that. Ah, I got through it. Right. Um, Mark McEwen, one other one. Austin Eckler, three touchdowns and a long awaited return to form. It's going to Mahomes this week anyway. I don't know what that is. Um, Sarah Ross gives it to the 49 defense other than for no reason other than they got me 22 points in fantasy. However, there is one nomination in there for Nick Bosa. Jack Collard simply says, the man was incredible. Gentlemen, who was your belter of the week? I think there's I think there's a lot of good options. A lot of them have been named. I kind of wanted to go for DK Metcalf because the poop cart was really funny. I, I kind of think you have to go Geno Smith. Like, it's... It's a pretty incredible story the way he's played so far this season. Like the, the the divisional finish I was most confident in before the season began was the Seahawks to finish fourth in that division. They still might because I think the other three teams are you know clearly a, a bit better than they are. But Geno Smith is far better than I thought he would be. It, it's true. I think that you look at the stat line. Right, Geo Smith, 23 completions from 30 attempts, 320 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no sacks, no fumbles, which is pretty clean, and 132.6 rating, which is great. In the same game, Jared Goff, 26 completions from 39 attempts, 378 yards, four touchdowns, one interception, one sack, and a rating of 121.5. This was amazing quarterback play on both sides. Genuine question, and you can tell me I'm completely wrong, but was this game not just a trash-off? And was it not just the defences are so bad that actually we're, there's some inflated numbers here because it became a shootout, and they pretty much just it became a shootout? No, so there's different, like, there's different ways to reach points. And the reason the Lions reached as many points as they did, I think, was more due to the fragility of the Seahawks defense where the Seahawks I think there were some really nice throws some really nice runs in there by Geno Smith oh Christ here he comes so that's all we've got time for on the podcast tonight <laughs> uh, and the reason I say that is we're now being joined by Charles Patterson who's found somehow a broadband connection down in Wigan 
and he joins us. I'm not in. Like, I'm not in Wigan. I'm in Manchester, the greatest city in the northwest of England. Um, I tell you what, Gordon, you just alienated all of our English listeners, of which there are many, I can tell you. I mean, to be fair, you've been spreading the word in the last few months, don't you? You you alienated them all apart from the people of Manchester. Like, all our Liverpool fans have been doubly kicked here, so... I couldn't give a flying... (laughs) Um... I presume um, we've talked about the uh, the big game well, the weekend on Sunday. I can't wait. Been, I'm, going to, already... I'm, going, I'm going to Tottenham. It's great. I can't wait. Me oh, no, we've not, we've not talked about that yet. No, we're not, not yet. We're, about that. Right, okay. I, no, it's fine. What have I missed? Have we talked the... about um, the Ravens? Yes, thank yes. you. Your, your, essay, your essay was very well received. You're wrong, but you can listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong because they lost. We're Second not starting on. that again. We're right. not starting that again. I... TJ Hawkinson, every time they came to Red Zone or I flicked over, it was his name that was making all, all the headlines. So I, I would give it to him. I, I've got Smith and Goff. I've got Josh Allen for his comeback. But TJ Hawkinson, I just thought, you know, really almost a career day for him so far. He averaged 22.4 yards per reception. Um, 179 yards and two touchdowns for a tight end. Even Kelsey would have been impressed with those numbers. Um, it was impressive. It was impressive. So, okay, so we've got Geno Smith. We've got TJ Hawkinson, both from the shootout. I like it. You picked Geno Smith. Excellent. Great, great choice. So that's two votes for Geno Smith. Do you know what? I'm all for giving it to people especially because they do things you don't expect of them. And I think that TJ Hawkinson is definitely a contender, and I think he will make an appearance in the next segment of this already bumper-long podcast. But let's raise a glass then and congratulate Geo Smith because you are the Lock Moment Belter of the Week. On to Team of the Week then, and that means that under the rules we've already discussed, Geno Smith goes straight in as our quarterback. Can, so, I, can I just point out we're four weeks into the season and Geno Smith and Joe Flacco have quarterbacked this team. It's just, <laughs> it's just if, if that's not a reason to pick up your headphones and do a podcast, I don't know what is. Oh, good grief. Um, yes, isn't that quite something? So Geno Smith in at quarterback. Let's do the offensive line, first of all. <laughs> Uh, and I'm actually going to open this up because I thought the 49ers line on Monday Night Football was magnificent. I think, I think you're right. I think that they played a near perfect game against the Rams and Aaron Donald didn't get much of a look in. Apart from the way where they didn't block him. Apart from that one where he missed that, there's a photo and I swear to God, it's like the, the cover of a Jaws film. You could just see him hunting him down. Um but for the most part, you know, the I think the the lane in particular that they opened for Jeff Wilson for his first touchdown was pinpoint accurate. Wilson knew exactly where it was going to be. It was there, and off Jeff Wilson went. It was clean. It was clinical. It, it's Sha- it's Shanahan too. Like I, I'm, I'm going to give it the 49ers offensive line. That that play in particular is why, as much as a certain member of this podcast likes to slate Kyle Shanahan. He's a fantastic play designer. Like no one, no one designs running plays quite like he does, and that was to perfection. Just designed perfectly, blocked perfectly. I'm also going to get. Yeah, sorry. Can we just talk about the offensive genius that is Sean McVeigh? What on earth 
does he do against the 49ers? You know what I mean? Nine points. I mean, she was when I'm just stunned that the the 49ers seem to have the Rams number so much at the moment. It's bizarre. Seven regular season wins in a row that yeah. Shanahan's had. Obviously, the one that matters, right? Is mm. championship game, let's be honest. Championship game matters most, and McVeigh won that, and he's got a Super Bowl ring. Shanahan doesn't. Um but it, they definitely do seem to have the number in the regular season, which is quite something. I think that the Alan Robinson's been a total disappointment. Cam Akers, the running game's just not got going. Really, Cooper Cup um, and the Tyler Higby are the only real viable they, they, weapons. They've had, they've had I think, it's 62% of their targets. Yeah. It's just, I mean, if Cooper that, Cup's a problem in a, in a sense because it, he's such a safety blanket. He just goes to him. If two so. players, if two players had had 62% of the Ravens targets, I would have had Charles Patterson nip in my ear for like the last week. Um, I, I think we'll find that last year and the year before, you were nipping my ear for the fact that Aaron Rodgers threw to one person and one person only, and that was, Aaron, uh, that was Devontae Adams. So this is exactly the same problem. I, um, exactly I am, the I same am problem. almost certain you've made that up. <laughs> Absolutely, totally not. The All one we heard about. Oh dear, what happens when you don't throw to Devontae Adams? Everything falls to pieces, and so it proved. I mean, this is exactly the same problem. I think we're also showing that Matthew Stafford is no better than an average, but average I, to good quarterback. I, I think. I think the, ve- the the incredible thing is when you look back on the story of that Rams team winning the Super Bowl. The the process in terms of doing it is everything you shouldn't do. Go all in. You know, the F those picks and all that stuff. And Matthew Stafford's this very up and down quarterback. And they just got the right level of variance on that, that they just hit the sweet spot. And, and you know, they got not the, they got the third best team in the AFC, if we're being completely honest, as much as the Bengals were good last year, the Bills and Chiefs were better. And it, you know, that allowed them to, to go and win the Super Bowl. It's, they're, they're not like this season, I think they're probably a wildcard team. Yeah, quite possible. Um, the one cherry on the cake, uh, cherry on top of the cake for the Niners O line is Mr. Mike McGlinchey, who the magnificent shot of him after Debo runs into the end zone, taps Jalen Ramsey on the shoulder and points at him just to highlight the player that he tried to tackle on the way through, which I thought was a lovely moment. I thoroughly enjoyed that too. So anyway, sorry, smugness over the 49ers O line. Tight end. Is it anyone other than TJ Hawkinson? No, it's Hawkinson. Kelsey was really good as well this week, but Hawkinson, what you had it, what, 20 yards a catch, 22 yards a catch? 22.4 average, yeah. Two touchdowns, along of 81. You know, wild. Really, really good performance. Uh, fine. TJ Hawkinson, that's nice and easy. Three wide receivers then. Who who are the ones that were the standout players? So if we look at the top of the yards then you're obviously looking at Tyreek Hill with 160, DK Metcalf with 149, Justin Jefferson with 147. None of those scored a touchdown. T Higgins, 124 on a touchdown. His touchdown, his touchdown was like, it was okay. He kind of walked into the end zone after like a horrible tackle attempt. I, I would probably go with the top three, Hill, Jefferson and Metcalf. So I, I think T Higgins had a great game and and because it's not expected of him is the other thing because it should be see yes you, I know but it's Jamar Chase but, but Jamar if you map out their like 16 game pace 
last season based on games we missed and stuff like that, there's a case to be made that Higgins is already their number one receiver. Fair enough. Also, what about Debo Samuel? Do we keep Debo out of the team this week for all those yards after contact? For that no, no, I, amazing I, I, run so, where he pulls over the best cornerback in the league by his okay. own admission. Okay, so let's let's start simply. Uh, who, who's the one of those first three receivers we talked about that has to be in? It's probably Tyreek Hill, right? Yes, I think Tyreek Hill is in, okay. especially as he played a lot of that game with a backup quarterback as well. So then at that point, it's Jefferson, Metcalf, Higgins, uh, Higgins Samuel, Steve Samuel. Cooper Pickens. Cup, 14 receptions. Mike Evans was pretty good. Did someone see Pickens? Pickens of the Steelers. Pickens was good. But he was good. Given the fact, yeah, the quarterback situation, he got over 100 yards. I think he was just targeted six times, average is 17. So I think he's got to be in the mix. Tyreek Hill wins that alone for, he was asked why he decided to join Miami and not he'd go to New York and he simply said yeah state taxis yeah which I thought was quite funny it's it's just a wonderful thing of, of honesty coming from him but yeah I think Pickens has got to be in the mix I thought he'd, you know given the fact of what's at quarterback it's pretty okay. good yeah, okay fair enough fair enough um I mean I, I'm going to make a play for Debo Samuel because I thought against the Rams defense he was brilliant and I thought that that run, that touchdown in particular, where he just danced through multiple tackles and bowled over uh, Jalen Ramsey like he wasn't there. That's big time wide receiver yeah, play. You get you get kudos, extra kudos for making Ramsey look like a dick. So yeah, I'm happy to put. Yeah, him in the team I've got I've got no issue with no issue with him. Okay, so Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, and then we're down to Metcalf, Jefferson. I think we should give Higgins. it to DK Metcalf purely because he got carted off. To go to the loo. <laughs> I mean, it's as good a reason as any. So uh, it is as good a reason as any. I just worried like you don't got, like him, so you, you no, can park your bias. We've got also no, no, also, Jeff, no, no. Jefferson, Jefferson dropped two passes. Metcalf only one. Metcalf did. How many did, did, did T Higgins drop? Uh, By the I, way, don't, I don't know, but Metcalf dropped the two, just one t- run drop pass. <laughs> and, and I would be, I'd be chucking um, if he hadn't dropped a, a touchdown pass in the end zone. I'd be chucking Romeo Dobbs into the mix as well. But yeah, yeah, enough for him. I mean, I'd, that was a, a tough one as well. Um, I don't know. I, Justin Jefferson for me is up against a much better secondary than DK Metcalf was. Like DK Metcalf's got basically free run, and if, Metcalf sorry, played brilliantly. Sorry. Justin Jefferson went up against Marshall Lattimore, who was garbage. In he was season. garbage, he was but he's still terrible. a better player than he the Lions have bad. got. He, he had, he'd had three good weeks. He was terrible. I mean, if you're going to give it to somebody, um, you know, from the game at Tottenham, it's got, it's got to be the referee. I mean, he got five first downs for the Vikings. <laughs> Jesus Christ, if it means I don't have to talk about that, I'll give it to DK. <laughs> I just worry about having two... Two Seahawks and a Lion from that one game where it was just defensive no-show. It was basically like a practice game. Outstanding. Love a little, go for it. Or I'll start complaining more about the referees. DK Metcalf is our third wide receiver. Last position that we need to fill then is running back. Austin Eckler. Josh Jacobs. Yep, that's another good shout too. Miles Sanders. Also a good shout. Uh, Damien oh. Pierce. Do you know, also Saquon Barkley. Yep. Barkley's for been amazing. As, for stepping in as quarterback as well. Yeah. They've, they've had a pretty easy schedule thus far, the Giants. So 
get, I mean, gets, e- gets easier on Sunday as well. I think, I think Josh Jacobs is a, is a really great shout because he had a great rookie season and then he's fallen off the cliff a wee bit in the last couple of years. So um, he did look really, really good and they had to win that game. So in to for bringing it in the moment when he needed to, channeling that emotion, which you really need to do at the top level, then I would get potentially edge him ahead of Eckler. Because he was, I, against, he was up against Houston, and that doesn't it's, count. It's a divisional rival. It's a must-win game because they've had a bad start to the season. He's not played well for a while. I I have no issues with Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I mean, sure we didn't even talk about Rashad Penny, right? Rashad Penny, 151 yeah. yards, two touchdowns, but too many from the same game here. It's like if you do that, you're just going to pick all the players from the blowouts or the the high-scoring games, right? Mm. Yeah, I would agree. All. You can't. Yeah, I'd, I'd written down Josh Jacobs. That's where I was going. All right, that's fairly simple. Then there you go. So our lineup for team of the week this week is Geno Smith playing behind the 49ers offensive line with TJ Hawkinson as his tight end, Josh Jacobs as his running back, and a trio for receivers in Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, and DK Metcalf. What a team! Oof, yeah, what a team. And with the Vikings officiating crew, they'd be unbeatable. (laughs) Right. Let us know where we did well. Let us know where you disagree. But that is our team of the week. On to week five. Charles Parson, you're going to the Spurs Stadium. How excited are you? Um, It's going to be fabulous. Uh, The weather looks good. I'm going with Jamie Borswick. And he's coming with me to a Packers meetup the night before, which is going to be brilliant. And he's agreed to wear his Giants top. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's going to be... I mean, I've been, to, I've been fortunate enough to be at the stadium before, um, and it's an amazing place to watch sport, let alone the NFL. Um, but the fact that the Packers are in town for the first time, it means that all 32 teams will have played overseas. It is the first time ever, as well, that we've got... Two good teams playing in London. Two winning records ever. It's the first time. So uh, it, sh- it should be a good game. I don't think anyone necessarily expected the Giants to be 3-1. and one. The fact that Green Bay are 3-1, and one, perhaps more people would have expected that. But I think both teams are working towards what they want to want to produce over the course of the season. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it'll be a close game. So it's going to be brilliant. It's, and I mean, it's going to be a cheesehead takeover, by the way. I am going to set you both a challenge. I mm-hmm. want you, one of you, to take your phone out and throughout the game record hot takes as it happens and we will open next week's podcast with Jamie Borthwick and Charles Parsons' <laughs> hot takes as they happen and played out in full. Paul's shaking his head at this idea. <laughs> he doesn't like it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just thinking that would be a separate podcast. but. <laughs> I have to say, I'm not going. I'm going to put the the waiver right out there now. I, I'm not going to, in any way, shape, or form, take accountability for my behaviour at Tottenham or my behaviour on any social media activity that may appear on the NFL Scotland slash Dramash podcast feeds. <clears throat> I, I might, I might give you the Twitter password for that weekend. Just to I'm give not sure you want to do that. <laughs> uh, um, okay, on to week five. Though that is obviously a great game to look forward to. What are the headlines for you guys? What are the stories that you're fascinated to see play out? Other than who the hell is going to be playing quarterback for the New York Giants? Um, where's where's the interest this week, gents? 
Paul, what are you most excited about? Well, I'd rather stick with the week five games, to be honest. But <laughs> hey, hey, hey. no, I, th- I think right off the bat, I think you've got to look at Thursday night football, Broncos, Colts. I mean, the, there are all sorts of rumblings going on in Indianapolis that their coach may be out. The general manager may be out as well. So that that's huge for them. I thought they were really disappointing in the end against the Titans. And the Broncos, we still don't know what the Broncos are in terms of are they, are they playing with their quarterback or is the quarterback having to fit in with everything they're trying to do? So I think, you know, I think there's a fascinating storyline coming up from that. So, I mean, right off the bat, I think we've, we've, we've got a fascinating game on, on Thursday night. It, it's interesting already. There's some games that you kind of like, not really bothered about this, this well, early in the season. Most of the schedule this week, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I was, this, is a, you know, this is a drab week. Yes. I, I, I don't know. I think there's a couple of decent games in there. I like I like the look of I love the look of the Falcons Buccaneers game because the Falcons are a team that no one can figure out yet, and I think that including the Falcons, including the Falcons, um, it's a shame that they're down. That Cordero Patterson's not going to play um, because I think Arthur Smith is a play caller. When he when he was in Tennessee, he used to pull all sorts of bits and bobs out at just the right time to throw a team off and ultimately he's, he's he bases his offense around a running game and they're doing that in Tennessee in, in Atlanta I should say with Marcus Mariota at quarterback and they've got two rookie running backs I'd love to see what they can do against the Buccaneers running uh, run defense which got absolutely gashed uh, there on, on uh, by the by the Chiefs and the Buccaneers are not in a good place and if obviously um, rumors are led to be believed that Tom Brady's mind is elsewhere then Perhaps he won't have his finger on the pulse, and suddenly we could see the Falcons leading the NFC South, which I don't think anyone would have predicted at the end of uh, September. But I think that's a really tasty game. And then the big one is the the um, the late game, Bengals Ravens. That's the big one. Not Just lie, how many I'm... ways can a coach cock it up? Is it going to be Zach Taylor or John Harbaugh cocking it up? That's what I, I want to know. Like, I honestly can't remember the last time John Harbaugh cocked anything up. I just think, you know, I'm more, I, I'm, I, I'm really intrigued to see how the Ravens secondary responds in this game because Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Tyler Boyd took them to the woodshed. And then last so. season twice. Mm. Um, and I think it'll be, I think it's going to be a, the Bengals. I think the reason why the Bengals are a, a threat again this season to, again, still don't think they're a better team than the Chiefs and the Bills, but a threat to be the third best team in the AFC is their defense is really solid. Um, and I think they match up better now with the Ravens than they did two years ago because of having a good defense as well as having an offense. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, the Ravens obviously want to get back on track after last week. Um, Nelly is playing halftime. You'll be a big fan of that, I'm sure, Paul. Nelly. Nelly, yeah. Well, really, it's just come out of the tunnel to Nelly's hot in here. Right. Did he take off all his clothes? I yeah, that was... the, yeah, the NFL allowed that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Back back in the day, you're allowed to do stuff like that. No, <laughs> that that's true. I'll, I'll probably stay up and catch that live. It, it won't, won't be the same watching it record. Um. Yes, there's some... It's a, a, Completely lost the point I was going to say there. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I've done, I've done brilliantly. It's been a long week. This, uh, th- yeah, it's not. It's not a scintillating week. 
but I think there's definitely some teams playing some bad teams. That's the way. Yeah, and and there's there's banana skins aplenty here. There's teams that may get found out because actually they're coming up against the team. I'll put my again my hot and cold miners in that. The game against the Panthers is the one that they could every bit easily as win as they could lose. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm not having this because this is your way of getting out of the absolute roasting you'll get if you lose to that team. The Panthers are an absolute Uh, bin fire. Did you see Baker Mayfield? He he can't even throw it over his offensive line. Did you see him after the game in the press conference? Oh, did the the booze motivate you? Did we go down and score a touchdown immediately after that? Yeah, to put yourself down 20 points at that point. Okay, If if the Bills lose to the Steelers... Because well, Kenny Pickett, Pickett is amazing, and no one saw it coming. Well, Kenny Pickett was garbage uh, at the weekend, so that's not going against the Jets. Whoa, whoa, oh, scored, oh, no, scored two no, touchdowns. No. Yes, two running touchdowns. Three, three interceptions. The three intercept, like three interceptions. Though one, one was a jump ball in a hail mary, mm. and the other two weren't his fault. Kenny, Kenny, is, Pick, Kenny Pickett will be a good box, quarterback, but box nah. score, box score scouting by Mister Anti Analytics. <laughs> nah, nah. uh, if nah, the Jets nah. beat Kenny the Dolphins, not because make two is out the game. Yes, yes, if that's the, the one I was going to come to. Teddy, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater up against the Jets. Uh, the, the Jets have burgled two games this year. Um, I would fully expect them to be possible, possibly three and two because Teddy Bridgewater is not going to... I don't... I mean, if Teddy Bridgewater throws it down the field, Miami should win it if he actually does bother to throw it down the field. But Teddy Bridgewater doesn't throw it more than 15 yards. He's like Drew Brees, but slightly better. So... <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a real problem for Miami, that one. You hope that Miami... Sorry, know, you know, did you just say Teddy Bridgewater is like Drew Brees? Drew Brees, but slightly better. I'm getting that on a T-shirt. I'm getting that on a T-shirt. There's just there's no <laughs> doubt about it. That's <laughs> one of my favourite quotes of all time. Drew Brees right now, not Drew Brees 10 years ago. Right, OK, yeah. 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 <laughs> um... I, the ones for me are the, the later kickoffs. The the Cardinals, Eagles, the Rams, Cowboys have some relevance. Like how do the Rams bounce back against the Cowboys that have been pretty good on defense this year? The Cardinals, obviously, Kyler Murray feels like he's getting into his groove against the high flying Eagles. How will I that think, one I pan out? The, the Eagles could wipe the floor with them. I think they could absolutely wipe the floor with the Cardinals in that game. I don't. I think the Cardinals are a flawed team. They're reliant on one man. There's more than one team out there that's reliant on one man. I guess. The- so, underrated story for mm. the Cardinals is Hollywood Brown's been really pretty good. Hasn't mm. dropped a pass yet, which is a little bit frustrating after last year. <laughs> uh, but he's on pace for like 1,400 yards. Looks pretty good. Obviously, that's going to drop down once Hopkins comes back. But when Hopkins comes back, he then becomes their number two option with Hopkins as number one. And I, I might buy low on the Cardinals just now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it could be interesting. They've got DeAndre Hopkins to come back. What what an offense that looks like when um I'm, re- I'm really glad you back. were paying it. I'm really glad you were paying attention as I previously just talked about DeAndre Hopkins coming yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm so jet lagged, it's not even funny. <laughs> oh no, it's um, funny. Don't don't worry, it is funny. Uh, <laughs> God, right. I'm not even going to edit this. See if you're listening to this, you're like, this one's been terrible. It's because I've just, I've stuck with it and gone with it. Um, I can't wait to listen to the edit of the first, however, 20 minutes when I wasn't there. Wait, <laughs> oh, you hear me stumble over my words as I'm talking about a nomination for Kenny Pickett. Um, Paul, are you worried about the Seahawks? High scoring, 
uh, Seahawks team of the week. Number one you met offense. Captain Gino Smith. Number one offense in the league by DVOA. <laughs> Saints will win that game. No question. Oh, no red, question. The, the red rifle. No the red rifles. Oh, no, the, 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 the Baton Rouge rifle. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Saints will win that game. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> Gordon, are you beating the Bengals? Uh, yes. Before we finish this episode, any other talking points that anyone wants to cover other than my jet laggedness? And this has been the closest to a pish cast that we've done. Um, and no one's drinking. So actually, I'm saying that. Me and Gordon are on the whiskeys, aren't we? What I'm drinking. So, so I'm drinking so cider. That you don't oh, realise that you're drinking. Inadvertent fish cast. There you go. So unofficial. <laughs> I, I think we've got to give a shout out to the Zach Wilson parody account who tweeted out, "Don't worry, Tom, I'll look after Giselle," <laughs> which I thought was a brilliant tweet, and some people actually thought it was Zach Wilson himself. Who knows? Knowing Zach Wilson, he might have his own parody account that he actually authors. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But the that one was thing. Funny. The one thing that I did whilst suffering turbulence over the Foxborough Stadium, approximately, I watched American Underdog on the plane, which uh, the Kurt Warner story is is great. It skips an awful lot of things. Like there's no NFL Europe content in there whatsoever. But it's hard to believe the <laughs> NFL Europe content didn't make, didn't make the cut. <laughs> I mean, do you think that that would be relevant to the audience? Well, arena football makes it. So if arena football is good enough to cover NFL Europe... Cameron, you should know by now that the Americans only care about themselves. I know, it's true. (laughs) But but it's very good. Um, Zachary Levy is tremendous. And I I didn't know much about the Kurt Werner backstory, I'll be honest. I knew, obviously, greatest ever undrafted NFL player. And to be honest, he's going to be pretty bloody hard to beat. But really, really good. If you haven't checked it out, see if you can find it. I'm not even sure where you can view it. I think it was on Amazon to rent at one point. Um, Might well make it to a streaming channel for free before too long. Do check it out if you get the chance. Um, Also, I have to say the MetLife experience was tremendous. I talked about it at the top of the show, but absolutely brilliant. Thank you to Jamie Gillen for sorting me out with some great tickets. Uh, Right in amongst the the Giants fans, the white towels waving. The, um, I saw several Gillen jerseys when I was there as well, which is nice to see. Um, a thoroughly great experience. I've been to MetLife twice. The other time I went was to see Jets Patriots in December, and it was freezing cold. There was absolutely no atmosphere whatsoever. So the comparison was quite something. One thing to note, uh, Monday Night Football, if you're ever there, the bar shuts at half time. I didn't know that. That was a long third quarter. Well, let me tell you, by the fourth quarter, you're almost getting out again. Also, getting back to Manhattan was a bit of a shambles. Yeah, it was that's after one a.m. Yeah, it's the part I don't like about that stadium. It's just how far getting out. So we we ordered an Uber. We walked back over to the race course um, and ordered an Uber from there. But it was one a.m. before we got back to Manhattan. So that was a long day. Let me tell you. And yeah, I've been home for five days, and the jet lag is still hitting me. So it's because I'm old now. Okay, anyone got anything else? No. Anyone who's in London, come and look for us. Um, and we'll regale you with tales of um podcasts that were never broadcast. 
podcasts that were never broadcast, by the way. That's a that's a whole good thing. For a, good name for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting some of the uh, the listeners in uh, deepest darkest Tottenham. So. And I'll regale you about our trip from Tottenham back into town, Cameron, seeing as you bitch about that stadium. So oh, it's honestly I'm sure it won't worst. be that bad. It's um, not as bad as getting back from the MetLife, but it's pretty be, bad. It'll be fine. It'll be fine when Green Bay have cruised a comfortable victory and I'll be consoling Jamie's tears on the uh, underground back into town as we head to the post-party. We look, we look forward, forward to, to hearing the content you record while you're there. <laughs> But that's the full-time whistle then for episode 204 of the Stramash podcast. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Please continue to share your thoughts on this and every single episode at Scotland NFL on Twitter or any single one of us individually if you really want. If you are travelling to London and you manage to negotiate all the strikes and transport issues, do have a great time. Do look out for Charles and look out for Jamie as well. Check out our social media channels and we'll be back next week to review all the action for Cameron, for Gordon, for Charles and myself. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. I'm booked on the bloody mega boss, by the way. <laughs>